This video is brought to you by the upcoming Cardamajigs Kickstarter for Cubamajigs Series 2. Cubamajigs are reusable booster packs for Magic, Cube, and other TCGs. Series 2 Cubamajigs are an upgrade to the original Cubamajigs. Head over to cubechaos.com to get notified when the Kickstarter goes live. The Commander ban list is, without a doubt, the most controversial aspect of the entire format. I firmly believe that if you were to gather 10 random commander players in a room, you'd have a difficult time getting even two of them to agree on something that should be banned or something that should be unbanned. We all have access to the same set of facts. We know what cards do, we know how they interact. So why is it that we can look at the same set of facts and arrive at wildly different conclusions? Tonight, I'm going to be talking through a few of the reasons why with my guests Sheldon Mennery and Glenn Jones to see if we can't get to the bottom of this. I'm Jim, I'm your Spike on the Mic, and today we're going to be talking about the role of the ban list in Commander. Inside of you, there are two ban lists. One is compact. It's easy to understand because it's reserved for only the most game-breaking cards, and I say game-breaking literally, these are the cards that actually break the game. Manual dexterity cards like Chaos Orb and Falling Star live here because of the logistics of actually playing the card, and the difficulty some players have with performing the physical real-world actions required by their abilities. Cards with the anti-mechanic like Jeweled Bird and Bronze Tablet live here because they run afoul of real-world gambling laws in a lot of jurisdictions. This ban list exhaustively bans things that can't happen rather than the things that shouldn't. And I put that in air quotes. This ban list is not a place for commentary on how people should enjoy the game. It makes no attempt to balance or diversify the format or to guide players towards or away from a particular playstyle. The other ban list starts with a vision of what commanders should be and takes active steps to remove the legal game pieces that steer the format in the wrong direction. It's not difficult to imagine what this might look like. You start by making a sweeping generalization, like 100 card singleton deck construction is intended to enforce variance on players. And then you just scour Scryfall for things that sidestep that enforced variance. Tutors? Get them out of here. Cultivate? Not on my watch. See you in hell, Shadowborn Apostles. We've now added a couple dozen cards to our ban list that exhaustively bans the things you shouldn't play. Rinse and repeat for all of the sweeping generalizations that you might care to make about the format, and ban cards immediately as they're released if they're found to be detracting from your vision. I recently took to Twitter to ask the question, if you had to pick one or the other, would you rather have a commander ban list that is A. 200 cards or B. 10 cards? This question might seem a little hyperbolic at first glance, but what I'm really trying to tease out is whether people in general think that the ban list should be used to influence the way people play the game. With a 10 card ban list, we're removing only the most structurally problematic game pieces. With a 200 card ban list, we're making a push to meaningfully prevent people from doing certain things that we wish they wouldn't. If you're listening rather than watching, 1625 people voted. 61.7% of the respondents said they'd prefer a 10 card ban list, and 38.3% said they'd prefer a 200 card ban list. If you're watching this on YouTube, this is still very much a question that I'm actively looking for feedback on. Make sure you hit me up in the comments with which side you fall on. 
Here to talk to me about the role of the Commander ban list in card design is Glenn Jones. He's a senior magic designer, and in his role as the Commander technical design lead, he's had a hand in shaping the made-for-Commander products that we all know and love. Also joining us is Sheldon Mennery, founding member and spokesperson for the Commander Rules Committee, and author of Top 20 Commander Cards in Modern Horizons 2 on StarCityGames.com. Glenn, Sheldon, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jim, always. Uh, I wanted to get both of you in uh, to talk a little bit about the Commander ban list. Uh, before the jump, I outlined two potential roles that the ban list can play, but we all know that the ban list in reality is neither of those things. Sheldon, can you give me like a 30,000-foot 30, explanation or 35,000-foot explanation of the way that the Commander Rules Committee currently uses the ban list? Well, we, we'd like to see the ban list as an exemplar for these are the worst offenders and hopefully you see how other ones like them uh, can be problematic. Um, you know, we target, we, we sort of target the player base in, in hoping that they can then use the ban list to sculpt their, uh, their experiences better for themselves. Some people use, the, use it hard and fast. These are the 38 cards that are on it and you know, that's all, everything else is fair game. Others sort of um, smell what we're cooking and, and, and head in the direction of, well, okay, I, I get the point you're trying, the meta point you're trying to make. Um, for the most part, you know, we try to be very restrained with actually banning a card. Um, but uh, yeah, as you and I have talked, uh, Glenn and I talked, certainly talked uh, while I was out there. Um, but, but we could make the ban list, you know, 100 cards, 150, 200 cards, and that's not good for anybody. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting point. That that uh, pretty well aligns with the way that I understand uh, the use of the ban list right now. It's it's essentially like a hybrid between the two uh, ban lists that I described earlier, right? Like we've removed the structurally problematic cards. That's your Chaos Orb, the Falling Star, all those. But then you've also got a couple uh, indicators in there that serve as signposts to guide players in a particular direction. Yeah, I, it's it's funny because when you say the ban list, I think of the cards that we actively banned, not the ones that we passively banned. Mm -hmm. So the you know the cards that are the main dexterity cards, the anti cards, the cards that are sort of you know that, that are uh, culturally insensitive. Uh, those those I, I see as cards that well nobody wants them in Magic, and then uh, or very few people want them in Magic, yeah. and then the ones that we format banned. Uh, are uh, creatures of a, of a different stripe. Yeah, and I picked up on that earlier when you mentioned these are the 38. Uh, it's it's like roughly 40 cards, I think, that are, are on the ban list right now. Um, but the ban list is actually larger than that, right? Like we've got right. all the stuff that's currently banned in um, Vintage, or at least was banned in Vintage at one point in time, um, as well as the cards that we've decided, yes, okay, these need to be banned above and beyond uh, those right. those ones that you said were, you know, uh, problematic for one reason or another. Uh, Glenn, you're involved in the process by which new cards enter the Commander ecosystem. And to a lesser extent, you also have a hand in nudging the popularity of certain cards through the choice to reprint them in popular products. Can you tell me a little bit about the role of the Commander ban list in card and product design? The most obvious is that we don't put those cards in Commander products. Uh, but we also reprint them just less frequently overall. Um, Commander's, you know, a huge audience for our game to drive up desirability, even in a product like 
uh, you know, like Modern Horizons or uh, Iconic Masters or those kinds of sets, like we factor in, you know, is this card going to make be going to be more appealing for the product because it also has a commander audience that will drive them to purchase the product as well. Um, you know, some the obvious example I use is probably like Primeval Titan and Sun Titan. Like we've reprinted Sun Titan just a dramatically large number of times relative to Primeval Titan at this point. Um, and sometimes a pretty popular commander card and we want to make sure that people have access to it. And it also reflects like the values of the format really well. Um, so that's why we drive people towards it. We know that that's its job. Uh, and Primeval Titan just doesn't really do that. And that said, it has its audience and, you know, we target it for products when we think that it can serve them well. Um, we mostly use the commander band list as the what not to do list. It's, there really isn't a lot of nuance going on with some of the things there. Uh, there are a couple cards like, you know, Prophet of Crufix is kind of just like a real peanut butter and jelly situation uh, where <laughs> we just made too delicious a sandwich uh, with that yeah. particular card, but the individual effects are easy to replicate in a variety of different flavors. Uh, and the other big one is we certainly talk to the CRC pretty often uh, to keep tabs on if there is a card that is legitimately under consideration for banning uh, or if there are interactions that are problematic, like, you know, where where should we draw the line and maybe don't reprint that card until we kind of have a better idea about where it lands. Yeah, there, there may be a list of cards that, that we've talked about with, uh, with Glenn and the folks at Studio X that we're like, uh, if you're thinking about reprints, maybe shy away from these. Uh, not necessarily because they're getting banned soon, but again, they don't necessarily reinforce the, the play of the target demographic that we're, we're, we're trying to sculpt. Right. And so that actually touches on a really interesting point because I know for a fact, because he's told me, Gavin Verhey uh, has designed uh, two cards that have been banned in Commander. You touched on one of them earlier, I believe. It was either Primeval Titan or Sylvan Primordial. I'm not sure which one it was uh, that he designed. But uh, he, Primordial sounds Gavin to me. Yeah. And the <laughs> other one was Paradox Engine. So yeah. is there ever... Mm -hmm. Is there ever like a tension? Because I know I know a lot of this comes out of the desire to innovate, right? Like it's important to to. I mean, I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but it's important to come up with new and interesting things to keep people engaged in in the game, right? Is there ever a tension? Like, are there ever like boardroom discussions going on in R and D where we're saying like this is so innovative and it's so cool? Like maybe a good a good recent example might be Grist. You know, are there ever people sitting around mm -hmm. the table saying like? This is going to be so innovative and so cool, but it could be problematic in Commander. Like, can you give us a little bit of insight there, Glenn? Well, most of our most of our conversations are in cubicles. Uh, at least they were until the age of Zoom calls. Um, but yeah, we we think about it for sure. Like, we're we're generally always pushing for something weird and novel and trying to figure out how that can be executed on healthily. Uh, Aeon Engine is another Gavin for Hay Special, actually, to demonstrate Gavin's incredible range when it comes to the strength of a card. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the we think about it for sure, and we we try to make sure when we have a cool idea that we're executing on it in a way that you know reflects the values of the format because we we think the card's cool. We we very rarely decide like this is really sweet and it's going to ruin Commander, but we should probably print it anyway. Uh, at least when it comes to Commander products, obviously. The, that, that's just where our targets are kind of always aimed when we're designing for commander specifically is, you know, it's gotta be cool. Uh, we don't want it to look like necessarily something they already have. We want to, we want to try and present a lot of sideways options is how I describe it. Like 
if you already have this card in your deck, you'll like this card. Maybe you'll play both. Maybe you'll just replace it completely. Um, and the latter is my favorite because that you know creates churn, makes your deck play more differently than it has in the past, and overall is better for the metagame. Um, that's one of the reasons you see us printing a bunch of weird three mana rocks these days is I want to try and create a situation where not only are three mana rocks the cool kids on the block again, uh, but also you see a lot of different kinds of three mana rocks that go in different decks, that go with different commanders, that kind of thing. I can I just say like you know on a personal note I love the three mana rocks that have been coming out like the uh, replicating ring is a personal favorite of mine like I I have no idea what deck I'm going to play in this but I've been looking for a, a like an extended art version of it in foil and I haven't been able to find one locally but that card is so cool and I would also say the same for midnight clock and um, the red one that uh, becomes a creature when it ETBs yeah cursed something I think cursed I mirror remember. I think. Yeah, that card slaps. I love that card. Anyway, yeah, Shimmer Rock, I think, was his playtest name. <laughs> but I love that. I love that trend. So, okay, so that's that's maybe uh, maybe leads into our next question is like, do you see that as a success if people start playing those cards? Is that like a big win if you see like the needle moving on EDA track and it's starting to replace like say maybe not Basalt Monolith but like Darksteel Ingot? Uh, yeah, to some extent, I think. I don't measure so much the success of the cards as I measure whether or not they, you know, were received well. That's that's more important to me. Like if people saw Cursed Mirror and were like, "This is lame," I would much rather play Fire Diamond. Um, then it's like, okay, well, that's a that's a mistake. We we did not get there uh, on that card. So as long as that is not what is happening, I consider the cards a success because over time, we're gonna inundate the format with things like this. Like there will be so many that it doesn't like if one of them was impactful enough that people just started switching to it, it would just be the new problem. It wouldn't be the solution. Um, so hopefully we get to a spot where there are just so many that it's not that any particular one is overtaking the previously popular options. It's that the previously popular options are just being used less and less and less because there's a wealth of other opportunities. Right. So it's not not so much a replacement as it is like a, a, a diversity situation where, you know, rather yeah. than there only being three good three mana rocks that we're each taking up 30 percent of, of uh, like, quote unquote, meta share in decks, we've now got 15 options and they're each one fifteenth of the meta. Right. Is that is that sort of the idea? Yeah. If, if you assume like, you know, 100 decks are getting added to EDH rec a month, which I was obviously preposterously low, but just for yeah. sake of the example, you know, if you, if like, you know, 20 of those have dark steel ingot in them, generally speaking. And then, you know, after, after the end of this year, that number is down to 15 and next year it's down to seven or whatever. Like that's, that's the win that I'm looking for. It doesn't even matter which rocks are going into decks instead of the ingot. It just matters that the ingot is going in less. Right. 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 Three mana rocks are going in. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I mean, I'm using Ingot, which is actually a pretty underplayed example. But uh, yeah, like, you know, Signets and Talismans are like also a fine mm. target. Like if people are just playing less Signets and Talismans because they like the three mana rocks more, that's wonderful. Like would, would be very happy with that. And that is ultimately, I think, a much healthier place for the form format to go. Cool. Is is that uh, like the primary measure of success of a of a commander uh, designed product, or are there other things that factor in as well that make you look back on a set and say like this was a, a rousing success? Uh, there's. It kind of definitely depends on who you talk to. Um, for me, I really pay a lot of attention to you know just how how do people receive the decks. Uh, it might surprise you to know that like, I don't really care that much about how well the product sells just in like raw numbers. 
Um, that's a number I get told a lot and it's a cool, nice number to hear. Um, but it's not actually that important a number in part because the commander audience grows from year to year so significantly that it's not hard to make, you know, the best of all time because you just have to do it recently, uh, because there's so many more players. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I pay a lot more attention to what's going on within the product relative to the other decks and the other cards. I pay attention to how it's relative to the standard sets that it's sitting alongside. Um, like, do they, does, is the popularity there what we expect? Um, are people buying in because they liked the standard theme? Are they buying in because we did something wacky with the cards? Maybe it's both. Uh, like, I think Icoria Commander had a good mix of that, where if you really liked Icoria, you were in, in on those decks. But we also had a cycle of, admittedly, I think, two strong cards in it that also drove uh, a lot of purchasing towards those decks. So we kind of have to suss out what are the variables that are driving appeal for each product and then figure out which ones we want to repeat and which ones we may maybe don't. Hmm. Sheldon, this is uh, going to be maybe a slightly more complicated question than the one that I just loved at Glenn, but um, do you have any thoughts on what makes for a successful commander set? Like, are there any sets that you could point to in recent history where you can say like, this was incredible for commander? Yeah, absolutely. Um, commander legends was, such a home run uh, that that I can't even grab enough words to wrap around it. Uh, I think that it provided Commander Legends Project for gateway um, into Commander for new players, and it provided a lot of great toys for the the already invested players, for both the the sort of mid tier invested players and the very very heavily invested players. So I think there was a, there was a great spread across. Um, the product of things that were just neat for Commander. And, um, you know, that I, I, the team, I think team did a great job, especially, especially with, you know, partner is a thing that could have gotten out of hand and uh, it didn't. And uh, the, the, the thing there is that a restrained hand is usually the one that comes out with the most, successful product to me. I mean, if you just make things blah that that become format stables or whatever, uh, that's not that doesn't become a healthy card. But if you get the things that people love to tinker around with and try to and try to um, uh, wiggle the best sort of value, long range value out of those cards, then that's a that's a great product for me. Cool. Cool. I think for me it's probably in, in recent history, and I'm hoping we get another one soon, but Battlebond, I think, was like an incredible product for Commander. I know like it's uh it's uh maybe not directly designed for Commander players, but it's one of those sets like Conspiracy and, and all those that have a lot of impact on the Commander format. Um there were obviously some things that came out of Battlebond that uh, you know shook up uh, my corner of the uh, EDH universe, uh, <laughs> Najila notably. But uh, there were some really cool things that came out of Battlebond. Like I really like all the partners that came out of that set, and uh, specifically the mechanic of uh, assigning people. I think it was friend or foe. Was that uh, was that Battlebond, or am I thinking conspiracy? Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really cool. Oh, uh, yeah, and I really like the idea of. Um, of giving people a benefit. This was, was actually present in the Commander 2021 and the most recent sets 
But I personally really like card design where you give somebody a benefit as a drawback to yourself, right? So things like mm-hmm. scheming symmetry, things like uh, silvering, Sylvan offering, any of these things where we can say, okay, we can make this card a little bit more aggressively costed because you're you're adding resources to the table that don't benefit you directly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that was a big theme in the the Orzov commander deck with Brina, especially. You know, you're kind of handing out. Uh, I think it was cards. Brina hands out cards. Um, but that's I, I really really like that as uh, as commander uh, card design. Um, Sheldon, maybe changing gears a little bit. Uh, in a recent article that you wrote, and I know that you wrote an article today, and we'll get to that in a second. But in a recent article that you wrote, uh, I mentioned it in the intro. It's called uh, "20 Top 20 Commander Cards in Modern Horizons 2. Uh, you wrote this, and I'm going to quote from the article. Modern Horizons 2 reinforces that wheels are the unhealthiest thing in Commander. With cards like Dothy Voidwalker and Sanctifier and Vec, and Gaia's Will, I suppose. This is of deep concern to me and is likely or is going to undergo a great deal of thought. Banning an entire class of cards is awkward at best, potentially politically suicidal at worst. I know that folks love wheels, so it gets even more difficult. There seem like no good answers at the moment, but I'd really like to look for them. Uh, Now, when we look at this, I know what you're talking about, and I know that you elaborated on that in that article today. Um, But I know a lot of people took away from this article the idea that you hate wheels. Right. Is that accurate? And maybe do you want to uh, clear up the, the record on that point? Yeah. I, I, I don't hate wheels. And, and you know, clearly saying that they are the, were the, are the, you know, the, the worst problem commander was intentionally hyperbolic. Um, and the idea was to get a conversation started because here's, here's where I see the, the, the intense problem. We're going to get very few wheels, especially cheap and easy ones like Wheel of Fortune Windfall in the future, whereas I think we're going to get a lot more cards that are uh, broken with wheels. Cards cards like Hull Breacher that may be safe without wheels become, become really difficult when wheels get to be used as an offensive weapon. I mean, historically, they've been utility cards, uh, and and the mana cost. I think the mana cost reflects that that they're they're not necessarily offensive weapons. And uh, I, I see that that down the road we're gonna get we're gonna get more cards that that synergize extremely well, perhaps unhealthily so, with wheels. Whereas the number of wheels is gonna remain relatively static. So the, you know that there there's the nature of the problem. Uh, obviously, if we're going to get more really, really cool cards that synergize badly with wheels and the number of wheels are going to stay the same, don't we want to keep the cool cards instead of the other ones? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, this this actually touches on a really interesting point that came up in, in the comments to my poll. And actually, Glenn hopped on those comments uh, at that point. Um, how do both of you or either of you feel about the idea of um like if if we were to say okay let's keep let's keep wheels around knowing that there are going to be problematic cards coming down the line right i think the writing's on the wall we've had a bunch of them in the last little while there's like war narset there's um hull breacher is one of them a little bit before that there was alms collector which is not quite as problematic but still sees a little bit of play it's basically if you were to pull up a cedh notion thief list it's like 
everything that's categorized you categorize as a payoff with wheels right um there's smothering tithe uh which doesn't quite uh rise to the level of a lot of these other ones like hull breacher because they don't necessarily take away the resources from your opponents but they allow you to capitalize on the draws that your opponents are making um is it more damaging would you say to uh um like let's say these problematic cards like turgrid come out and we say this fits a mold that we don't like which we know that we don't like because of leovold is is it more damaging to say let's just pop these off as they come up and and resign ourselves to the fact that that might result in say two bans per year which is significantly more frequent than than commander typically bans cards or to rip the band-aid off and say you know what there's eight cards in the format that are synergizing poorly with these uh with these wheel payoffs is it the right time now to just say you know what get rid of all eight of those cards do you have any thoughts on which one is more more or less damaging uh well i i want to start off with because i think sheldon kind of noted you like maybe whole breacher would be okay without wheels i would like slightly that whole breacher without wheels is like doing noble work uh like you know you're supposed to draw one card a turn that's that's the rule. Um, yeah. So like, that's a very noble thing to punish. That's, that's something we want to be able to punish in magic just in general. Um, and it's unfortunate that you can't really punish that without simultaneously making a, a strong wheel effect even stronger. Um, I do think that there's middle, a middle ground between those two options. That is one of the re more reasonable courses. I think I, I don't want to go as far to say, like, I think it's the best because I haven't thought long enough about it and, really poured over it. But I think that if you drilled down the number of wheels without eliminating them entirely, like, you know, if you just got rid of the more efficient ones mm -hmm. that people can very easily, you know, like pop off in a single turn. Um, I think that's fine. Like, you know, it's whole breacher and reforge the soul like problematic. Like, I don't know. That seems like we're getting kind of sketchy. Um, like, but whole breacher and like, you know, wheel of fortune or Tolarian winds or these are not that one. Uh, windfall. Winds like those are all things yeah. that are efficient enough that, it does become really relevant. Um, and the more things we make that punish draws, which again is a noble purpose, more often it will conflict with wheels, which we make relatively less frequently and also much more inefficiently today uh, than we used to. So before you weigh in, if I can just interject yeah. there, um, it, it does pose an interesting problem that actually uh, you know, circles back to the original, the overarching theme of this episode. And that's that the wheels are a particularly interesting case study because the original uh, namesake wheel of fortune is reserve list and is quite expensive and therefore less prevalent in in the wild uh than something like windfall which is inexpensive i don't know how much it is but i can just about guarantee it's under 10 bucks today sure. is like if if there were a third course of action that says like let's make fewer wheels available um you know there are interesting problems that are posed with each strategy right you can ban wheel of fortune which doesn't actually affect as many players as banning say something like windfall or winds of change but it more severely impacts the people that are impacted right because it has a significant financial benefit which i know doesn't play into the banless discussions but it, it is a consequence of the uh you know, Josh Likwai has mentioned it on on the command zone before that a lot of value goes up in in smoke when a card gets banned, right? So, is it better then to pull the trigger on something that is less played but maybe more emblematic of the of the archetype, or do you go with the one that's more widely played, knowing that people have a 
better option out there available? I, I, the question, yeah, that, that question is super complicated, right? I, I mean, I, I think that, again, um, I was going to say we're, we're talking about Wheel of Fortune and Windfall, not Dragon Mage. So we're probably talking about a relatively few cards anyway. But the, the thing is that the mechanic is that, yeah, I mean, you can't ban a mechanic. You can't just say, okay, all cards that empty your hand and refill it are banned. That, that makes no sense at all. But thinking about thinking about the the long range effect of what the inexpensive or easy to easy to cast ones do does become part of the part of the issue. Uh, again, the the ban list is sculpted toward the players, but I think it's reasonable for the ban list to also talk to Glenn and the folks in Studio X and say, "Hey, you know." Here are the reasons that we would ban these cards, and we'd probably go into an even more detailed discussion with them of of why we ban we would ban an older card as opposed to a newer one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the long range health of the format is in not banning any cards, right? It's like letting players play. Players love even broken stuff. They love to play commander, uh, and to the extent that we can. Would love to just let them free, but there are some things that are just really damaging to the health of the format, and I want to make sure that we take care of them. So that's a, a really interesting point, and and um, this is like we've maybe leapfrogged into one of my later uh, discussion points. So uh, thank you for that. But we kind of talked off air earlier today, and and one of us, I forget who talked about the idea of sand, uh, signpost banning methodology, which is the current. You know, way that we bind van cards in Commander as maybe idealistic, right? Like the intent is that somebody should be able to look at the ban list and walk away from it saying, you know, hey, uh, uh, if expropriate is legal, but coalition victory is not, um, there's a lesson that I can learn from coalition victory being legal. And that's that these large mana sorceries that provide such an overwhelming advantage or outright win the game on the spot might be providing a play experience that's that's not beneficial it might cause some social friction is it is it idealistic to talk about the ban list that way like are are players actually looking at the ban list and walking away from it saying i've learned a lesson about how uh you know i can interact with strangers playing commander i i think it's i think it's extremely idealistic uh and i think it doesn't necessarily match up with the the experience of most of the player base right there because they're used to a thing they're they're just used to reading a band list and say these are in these are out it's all i need to know um but commander is the only format that that has a philosophy document that accompanies the band list and kind of explains to you in advance why and then again hopes that you'll you'll sort of pick up on um some of the the clues that we're laying down for a bigger thing, you know, a, a bigger umbrella. Um, but that that is a way that we hope that players do. I think that that they're fewer and farther between than we would really like them. I mean, there's a lot of discussion on the RC Discord server about exemplar bands uh, in the Format Philosophy channel, and I know that there are people that are getting it. And it's resonating with them. 
but I know there's there's there are also other players who are like legal, not legal, mm-hmm. don't have time for anything. So, like I've always said that you know, if you want to have a chance at meaningfully influencing people's behavior, you've got to increase their motivation and their ability to do what you want them to do, right? And I think both of you have a role in in um, both of those things. Like, first of all, when we're talking about ability to play certain cards or certain strategies, the ban list directly um, dovetails with that, obviously, because you're the one that's in charge of saying you're allowed to do this or you're not, right? So that's in terms of ban list management. In terms of card design, um, Glenn, you've got a pretty unique ability to uh, inject new cards, new strategies, new ideas into the commander ecosystem, um, which increases people's ability to do certain things. Uh, but you've also got both got rules on motivation, right? It, you know, Watsi has a, a an ability to uh, amplify voices that might, uh, you know, talk about the commander in a certain way, either by uh, directing, like working with content creators, or even just in the way that we talk about the format, just in general. Um, and on the flip side, the rules committee also has a similar, um, you know, platform to amplify those voices. Um, do you think that we're doing all that we can to influence people's motivation or to affect people's motivation to play in a certain way? Or like, are there things that we can be doing better than uh, that, Sheldon? I, I think that, that it's difficult to, to impact people's motivations for why they want to play, right? They, they, you know, everybody gets what they get from the format. And there are certain people who who love this aspect, some certain people who love aspect, that aspect. And trying to provide the big tent approach to all those players means it's way more difficult to target um, player motivation because the, because the motivations are so varied, then uh, you know, an approach to, to sculpting their motivations would have to be similarly varied. And I think the branches of that tree get very, very, very deep. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in broad strokes, we've got we've got uh, motivations that I think can be shared, like you know, uh, pursuing a, a good game for everybody at the table, right? Like that's a, a broad strokes motivation that I think everybody at the commander uh, under the commander big tent can agree is is worth pursuing, even if that looks a little bit different in different uh, at different playgroups, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you know, when we talk about motivation, I, I used to give a, a, a a talk at judge conferences about increasing motivation and ability for players at uh, organized events to behave in a certain way, right? That's if you want the players to call a judge, you have to tell them what types of things you might call a judge for, right? Or you have to make sure that judges are visible. They've got to be walking around the floor, right? These are ability things. In terms of motivation things for organizing events, you know, one of my thoughts is we should be telling people what our goals are for organized events right from the get-go. If we've got a command fest, right? And maybe that's not direct Watsi impact because I know it's not Watsi that directly, you know, runs these events, but are we telling players what kind of play experience that we're looking to get out of this? Or are we allowing them to uh, talk about their motivations for playing? Those are the types of things that really interest me. Um, Glenn, are you aware of any any uh, motivation type things that Wizards of the Coast is doing? Uh, certainly aware of. Um, at least from the design group standpoint, we we let our cardboard do the talking uh, for the most part. In this case, you know we've we use the pre-constructed decks uh, and the in uh, product environments. In the case of Commander Legends, uh, to make sure we're showcasing the kind of gameplay that we think is good and healthy, and that someone 
coming to the format for the first time is going to, you know, that's going to stick with them. Like we, we put time warps pretty infrequently uh, in commander products. I think the last one we put in actually gave the turn to an opponent. Um, so oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, that's the sort of thing that confirmation bias, like Sheldon noted, noted, you know, when you come to a band list, there's a confirmation bias that it is what you expect. These are the cards I'm not allowed. Everything else is okay. That's mm-hmm. the confirmation bias we have set up by the same token, you know, someone learning commander for the first time, experiencing pre-constructed decks, um, we want them to, you know, have a chance that, you know, they walk away from that format and another one. And then, you know, a time warp comes up and they're like, oh, that is not what I was enjoying before. Like that, that wasn't part of my experience. I should like look at that a second time and see if I really want to play with it. Um, and obviously a lot of people are just like, nope, taking the extra turns. Awesome. I wish that card had been in my deck. Uh, but we're giving ourselves like the chance, right? We're not normalizing the thing we don't want to happen. We're normalizing what we do want to happen and kind of hoping for everything else to, to fall into place from there, which we can reinforce, as you noted, with events. Uh, like ho- hopefully some of the things they've done at Command Fest in the past, um, like the signage kind of giving people places to play or events to look for, uh, ideally is going to continue to improve uh, when we return to live play for those kinds of events. And hopefully people can more often find a game where everyone is happy because that's really the ultimate goal of any commander uh, arrangement is you want everyone to be able to find the place that they will have the most fun playing. Jim, you know, you, you mentioned the thing about calling the judge and um, what, what I would say there is to create positive motivation, you create positive experience for the person uh, doing the thing. So mm-hmm. when a player calls a judge, you, you make sure your judges are well-trained are you know, personable, uh, you, that you know that, that they know how to dispatch their responsibilities, so that the, the when the player goes, I'm going to call a judge. They have a relative amount of confidence that that calling the judge is going to be uh, good for them, uh, even if the ruling goes against them. That the, you know the, the the sort of meta experience is going to be good for them, and I think that swings back into what Glenn said about just reinforcing the style of play that you want. With, um, with, with sculpting the decks to do it. We can talk a lot about uh, a level of play or a style of play uh, or include, you know, inclusion of other people's desires and whatnot, but I think Glenn is right. We have to show them uh, with, the, with the decks and the way that, uh, again, those of us who are crafting this message are actually doing it. So that's an interesting point. And it, this is like the more I dig into the, the topic of the ban list, I think the more it cements my my anti-ban position. I was a little bit happier on bans before I joined the Commander Advisor Group than I am today. And I think that that might speak to, to an opportunity for us to talk more about Commander as a format that is wide open, right? Like we know that the Commander Rules Committee is not actively pruning the format to make it grow in a particular direction, right? If the Commander Rules Committee was doing that, we would see a lot more ban list activity than we do, right? Like the ban list activity level is closer to that of vintage than it is to any other format that's actually actively managed, right? right. Um, so if that is the expectation. Like to your point earlier, if the expectation is that we want to um, 
we want players to know what to expect from the format that maybe it's worth reinforcing the message that the the play experience is not going to be actively managed by bands yeah and the the anxiety there comes then from how else do you do you manage it right the, that was a good question the, the, <laughs> it's it, it, to be fair it's the million dollar question right where you know as as i sit here uh, whether I'm, I'm, you know, talking with the two of you or talking with Toby Scott and Gavin Duggan or the CAG or whatever, it is the question. It's like, how do we, how do we sculpt these expectations in a way that doesn't come across as exclusionary? Because one of the, I think one of the concerns that a lot of people have, and they, they've certainly expressed it today is that, well, you know, by saying this is this is the the ground that you want to promote. You're you're excluding the way I like to play, and that's certainly never the case. I mean, we built into the philosophy document. Here's here's the target of what we want, and if that doesn't suit you, suit you, here are some you know here's an active way for you to do it the way that you think is best. That's interesting, Glenn. Any thoughts on that? Is that uh, that pretty much drives with what uh, what you were talking about earlier? Yeah, very very much so. Um, you know, we we want to try and set people up to expect the right thing and to feel dissonance when it's not fun for them, or you know, if, if it is something they enjoy, we want them to gravitate towards it and seek out play groups that will give them the experience they want. Because um, it's not like casting time warps is inherently evil or anything. It's just like you should go hang out with the other people who don't mind that happening. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So earlier, Sheldon touched on the idea of um, bandless as a signpost, not just for the greater commander community, but for uh, Studio X or, or research and development, as uh, as um, he mentioned earlier. Is uh, can you think of any situations, or are you even able to share any situations where uh, feedback from the community, maybe not necessarily from the rules committee, has uh, maybe changed your outlook on commander or changed your your mind on design? Like, is there anything that maybe you've designed that you expected to go over really well and didn't? Almost certainly. Um, <laughs> uh, examples are definitely harder to come up with. I'm, I'm, it's more memorable to me when something I didn't expect to be received well uh, was. Ooh, let's um, talk about that then. <laughs> I love that too. Uh, there's not like any like specifically interesting thing. Uh, it's just, you know, sometimes you, you know, sometimes you wind up with a card where you're like, yeah, I never really figured out what I liked about this card. And it, it winds up having a home and finding players uh, for me, like C19's Rayami was uh, an example of that, where it was the legend I was least happy with in the entire product. Um, and I don't think Rayami's like, you know, any big hit or anything like that. Uh, the, the Sultai vampire. Uh, but when it was, previewed you know like there are people who immediately like you know latched onto it started exploring it and trying to find things to do with it and that was really uh as someone leading their first team that was really great for me because i was just like even even the one i didn't like is has a so uh that was a bolstering experience uh the, the obvious examples here are like you know we've improved commander's mana bases uh since i've had a stronger voice in guiding these decks uh and that's going to con hopefully continue i mean obviously there's something of a curve to it. We can't make quantum leaps all the time. Um, but I think if you compare uh, a, a mana base from a recent commander product to like the, you know, the C 13 to C 17 ish range, um, like the, there's, there are noticeable differences and improvements. Um, and I, and I hopefully 
that I think that is succeeding. Uh, white card draw is another good example uh, that I think has been done to death by plenty of people. So I won't go into too much depth with it. Um, and another one is cycles versus throwbacks, uh, which is kind of a more nuanced thing. Uh, I've personally never really liked cycles. Uh, I think so many cycles and magic are born of like, I figured out two awesome cards and then I found like more that I can print. Uh, and that's kind of how they go, right? Like there's a couple that are awesome and then some others that aren't, aren't as much. And those are easier to succeed with in, in larger magic. I'm going to put up pictures of Healing Salve and Shiv and Gorge right now. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the larger magic game, like they're not that hard to, to do. Like, you know, confluences and commands and those other things that we've made relatively recently are pretty sweet. Um, but in Commander, it does get trickier because the format just demands so much more from the card. So I, I, t I tend to make sure I'm asking designers like, you know, is this really a cycle or did you just make a card? Um, but I, I have the uh, so on the flip side, like really dialed up throwbacks. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of throwbacks. Um, I put a split second card in C19 and that personally delighted me to do as mm. a, a first time lead. And I think with, since then, you know, we've had two modern horizons products. Uh, and I think that the audience has made it clear that they really like throwbacks uh, and that we were underdoing them like the entire time. Uh, and Commander was the place where we did that for a long time. It was like the primary nesting ground for, for throwbacks. So I'm trying to do them a bit more. I think that they really dial up the delight of our products. And it is difficult to make them as often as we did uh, with Modern Horizons now wanting to, like, you know, siphon them off so that we have a product line now that exists and, and does do that. Uh, but I think that there's still a great place for Commander products to do that. Of course, I also say all of that, and I... I am definitely responsible for two pretty unique cycles of cards uh, in Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. So hopefully those will just be the exception that proves the rule. Uh, but mm. if not, then I called it. <laughs> for sure. Well, I think that probably uh, wraps up our, our discussion on this. Uh, unless either of you have any uh, thoughts, any parting thoughts you want to include? No, I think, I think sitting and talking like this uh, with you and Glenn is great, and we should probably do more of it. Like, yeah. Like, you know, you and I talk, you and, you and Glenn maybe talk, Glenn and I talk. I think a few more people in a, in a circle talking about stuff like this um, is, is going to move us forward into the, into the future of Commander. Yeah, and I think it's 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 a great thing, especially because uh, you know a lot of the people out there in in listener land or viewer land aren't necessarily privy to these conversations. You and I might talk like this once a week, Sheldon, um, but I can definitely tell you, before you know, two years ago, I didn't even know that any of these conversations were happening. You know, um, all I was able to see was uh, you know. Reddit's reaction to an article that you wrote, but, um, or, you know, something that they mentioned on the command zone or something like that. Right. Like that's, those are the kind of cultural touchstones in our community. And, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely, uh, really, uh, am excited to get this one out there so that people can, uh, people can watch and listen. Well, I, I think one of the things that the community wants from the RC is transparency and, I think one of those transparencies that we can actively use is as far as possible about the substance of conversation that the RC and Studio X has, because, you know, compared to, compared to just five years ago, we talk a zillion times more than we used to. And uh, while obviously we can't talk about the, 
the substance of the communi those communica uh, communications, we can talk about the, the sort of um, big, broad stroke ideas of those communications. And I think that's the kind of transparency that is super good for the format. For sure. For sure. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, Glenn, unless you have anything to add? Um, no, I mean, I, I love chatting like this. Uh, obviously, I do it a lot at work, and none of that gets uh, documented or published for consumption. Um, but if, if people want to have good faith conversations with me, I'm uh, not as chatty as Gavin on social media, but I am on Twitter and, yes. and tend to respond to uh, people who are reasonable. And that's, that's, I'd love to have a chat. Glenn, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I think my name right now is Glenn underscore Jones underscore on oh. Twitter. And Sheldon, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Sheldon Mary, also by my name on Facebook. Uh, you can find me Thursdays in the Commander Twitch channel. That's uh, twitch.tv slash Commander RC. Uh, Thursday nights, 8 p.m., Sunday afternoons, 2 p.m. You never know who's going to be a special guest as well. Um, and then, of course, you can find me on Star City Games every week, writing about the best format in the history of Magic. Awesome. Thanks so much to you both. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Hey, thank you for checking out the Spike Feeders on YouTube. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button before you close the window. Or you can click on this link to check out our other great videos.